0: Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company. And today I'm thrilled to be talking about the wonderful animated short film Save Ralph, which is currently shortlisted at the Oscars for Best Animated Short Film. And we are joined today by writer and director Spencer Susser. And in, in talking about the genesis of, of this film, you know, this, this is a collaboration with the Humane Society. And it it sounds like it was them coming to you and, and being interested in what your approach and what your perspective would be on how to tell a story. And I'm I'm so fascinated because you've created this very intimate, connected, character-driven narrative piece. And at the same time, you know, it is topical storytelling with a very clear message within it. And so how did you approach writing a short and finding that real true connectivity for audiences within the format in a way that would still also capture the dialogue that was really important to bring forth in it as well? Well
1: you know i i heard that the humane society was looking to to create a film to help bring awareness to the fact that animal testing is still going on and so based on that i just thought geez it would be great to hear it from from one of the animals and it just seems so obvious to me that um that there was a guy named ralph and he uh wanted to ex- explain his uh experience the thing about any sort of animal testing footage or, or stories that I've seen, typically the reaction is you cover your eyes, you look away. It's so gruesome that you, a lot of people just would rather not know. So I knew I wanted to do something that could sort of slowly trick you, I guess, and get you, get you in and um, give you some of the information without hitting you over the head with it. So I thought you know, if you meet this cute, funny guy and, he's, and you like him right away and you slowly let him, he lets you kind of come into his world, the audience can put the pieces together themselves and kind of go, hang on, wait, what? You know, and then, you know, you, you have Ralph, he's just like the nicest guy in the world and he's got the worst job in the world, but he's just trying his best. And, you know, I really wanted the audience to sort of kind of want to grab him and shake him and say, what the hell's wrong with you? You know, this is not okay um but yeah so anyway so that was kind of the general approach
0: and you you bring up that really important point as well and and especially so true for short form storytelling is that you need the audience to fall in love with him immediately you don't really have that time to kind of build him up over the first act and take 15 minutes to to draw us in it's within the first 30 seconds within the first 60 seconds that relationship needs to already be established for the story that you're telling and and everything that you were just saying and so how did you set about figuring out the details of how to do that, both visually and narratively in terms of what we learn and, and how we get to know his personality right off of the gate?
1: Again, yeah, I just sort of wanted to start with something that, that made you kind of lean in a little bit and, and go, who is this guy? What is it? What's his deal? Why? What's wrong with his eye? And what's he talking about? Without giving too much away, it's always nicer for an audience to come in in the middle and do some work themselves and try and put the pieces together. So, um, you know, and I also liked the idea of trying to do like a documentary style with stop motion, cause I'm sure it's been done before, but I hadn't seen it. And I kind of thought it was a challenge to kind of make it this sort of off the cuff, loose feeling, um, piece, which, you know, was more time consuming than I had even thought. Um, I wanted to do a little more of it and then I realized, oh, maybe, you know, just adjusting the camera and focusing and all that stuff just kind of helps set the scene a little bit. Um, But yeah, so yeah, it was just about the sort of give them enough to sort of want to know more.
0: And as you were conceptualizing the the character of Ralph, you had Andy Gent, who was the kind of puppet creator and world builder on this short in collaboration with you. And it sounds like there was a lot of back and forth in terms of figuring out the visual details of what Ralph was going to look like. You know, even if we look at the fact that he has hands and fingers and he can pick objects up and hold them and move them versus having paws as a rabbit, you can kind of create your own rules a little bit. But then even it's things like how big are his eyes going to be? What's the size of his head in relation to his body? Um, And so how did you go back and forth a lot on trying out different details and trying to really figure out the visual aesthetic of what this character needed to look like for the audience? Well,
1: the most important thing for me was that he could emote and have a detailed performance. So knowing that, we sort of started with the head that was always going to be a little bit bigger than the body. Um, And then, you know, we looked at a million references, every rabbit you can think of and um, tried so many iterations, sketches and Photoshop comps and just a lot of back and forth. I would find stuff and I would comp it. I'd send it to Andy and his team. They'd do a sketch. I'd Photoshop that, send it back. And it was just the the regular sort of back and forth and um, finally finding something that felt right. Um, You know, and the other thing that, because he is damaged from the animal testing, it's finding the right note as well, where it's not too gruesome. So a lot of the images I was sending Andy, I would always apologize and say, you know, warning before you look at this, it's pretty heavy. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's frankly quite rough, just even researching what, what happens in there. You know, even the, the idea that they use rabbits for these eye tests, because they don't have tear ducts. So when they put chemicals in their eyes, they can't actually, you know, cry them out or so these chemicals will just sit there and burn holes in their eyes and um, yeah it's just pretty horrible but again it's so important to just go how do you take this horrible subject and make it sort of palatable so that people can actually sit through it and understand because I think people I know people are good and want to do the right thing but the world we live in is is designed in a way where a lot of people are kept in the dark with the food we eat and the cosmetics. And, and so it's a, it's such an important subject to, um, you know, and again, when I when people. One of the best sort of compliments I get from the film is people say, I, I, I want to go back to my cabinet and see what's in there and check the ingredients. Um, and I don't want to buy stuff that tests on animals. And I don't think anyone would. You know why if if there's a choice not to why why would you pick suffering?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, even with what you're bringing up as a detail with the fact that actual rabbits, you know, they don't have tear ducts, but within the world of stop animation, you're able to create these own rules for yourself. And so there's a lot of very humanistic aspects to the way that we see Ralph and the way that we get to know him. And, you know, we do see a tear roll down his face when he's talking about, you know, everything's fine, everything's good. And we kind of see the juxtaposition or even the fact that he sits there and eats a bowl of cereal or brushes his teeth um, before he goes to work. And then, you know, once he's in the test lab, that's where we see him more as a rabbit and more as an animal almost. And so how did you want to create the rules of, you know, where do I want it to feel like his movements and motions are more animal-like and where do I want to allow for within the realm of imagination and stop animation to allow him to also have these humanistic traits in, in the way that he connects?
1: Yeah. Well, again, I think it's sort of, it's just a balance. You know, we, we really talked about how much we humanize him and in some places more so than others, you know, like the hands is an example. Does he have paws? Does he have hands? Does he have fingers? And we ended up using fingers because he could articulate a little more and use his hands. And I really love the idea that he could just be scratching himself. It seems like nothing, but it's just a fun little detail that, you know, when you're talking, you might do a little scratch and, again trying to make it feel as un kind of scripted as possible and having him do the things that that you know aren't perfect and um so kind of designing those things and and the the design of the the, the puppet helped us um, I mean
0: I love what you say there as well about making it feel very unscripted because it is this this documentary aesthetic that you've created. And are there challenges that come in trying to create something that feels very spontaneous and very of the moment in terms of the way that this dialogue and this exchange is happening on camera, but also within the medium that you're working within, within stop animation, everything has to be so meticulously planned out for that.
1: It does. And and because I'm not, uh, I, I've only made, two or uh, maybe three or four now stop motion films, I just kind of stumbled onto it and I just love it. You know, normally I do live action and I kind of love that it's stop motion is not my thing, but I've learned so much about it. And what I've really learned is it's the ultimate control, you know, cause when you, when you're making a film you want to control everything. And it's hard not to be a bit of a control freak in terms of the details of everything. And my background is editing. So you really are controlling everything when you're editing, but sometimes when you go, oh, I wish I could change that performance. And in post, often you can, I I often will do, take the head from that take and the body from this one and this take and do a lot of split screens and you can do all that now. But the beauty with stop motion is you just control everything. You get to direct every single frame. And that means, you know, when they blink, when they look, when they scratch, when they, just everything. And obviously you can't direct an actor like that. Sometimes you go, oh, it'd be great to just really control every moment. Um, but this allows you to do that. And so it's kind of the best medium, I think. And and anything that you dream of, you can do. I mean, obviously it's the same with live action, but there's just a much bigger cost associated with it with uh, live action. I, I mean, not to say that stop motion isn't, Um, you know, takes a lot of resources. But like one thing that was great about making this in terms of just like the sets, um, I would, well, first I would do a 3D render of of my idea, a basic idea. I'd send it to Andy. He would then build it like out of cardboard and we'd frame it up and go, yeah, that's the right size, Make make the ceiling lower or whatever. And then I'd take... We'd get photos of that, and then I'd paint it up in Photoshop. We'd talk about that, and then they paint it up. But the thing that was so fun was I could find any reference um, that I liked, and then Andy's team would build it in 3D, and then they 3D printed at the correct scale. So pretty much every little detail is specific, been found and been discussed. And, you know, for example, there's this just ridiculous like 60s blow dryer that I liked um and you know we built it printed it painted it up and it's it's sitting there in there at one point in the kitchen i had found these these great cabinets that elvis had in his kitchen they were just so cool looking and so we were going with those for a while and then i found something better but it was like at one point it had elvis's kitchen cabinets. But anyway, I I just I love that you have so much freedom in that sense.
0: That's amazing and and I imagine that a lot of that also comes from the the meticulousness even at the storyboarding stage at the beginning of of figuring out all of the visuals before you go into animating everything. And so what was your approach in in storyboarding out and how did recording, you know, temporary audio tracks to go along with the storyboarding really help in terms of figuring out the visual process for you?
1: Well, I think a couple of things. Well, one is, you know, in terms of the design of the set, this isn't really what you're asking, but sort of um, wanted to touch on this is that the design of the set was also, my idea was that Ralph lives in a cage in a lab. And in order to make it sort of possible, so he doesn't, so he's not completely depressed the whole time. um, I don't even know if depressed is the right word. He's like, has a death sentence and he's being tortured basically or tested on. and um, But so in his head, he sort of made it this home. Um, but it was many other rabbits home before it was Ralph's. So the idea that many other rabbits had lived there and there's pictures from different times and different families. Um, there's a bunch of toothbrushes that were probably from the uh, rabbits before him. Um, so there's just a lot of history in there. Um, and even in the in the locker room at the end, I like the idea that when they were put in there, they have to write their name on the uh, the locker so they could find their locker. But because there's thousands and thousands of animals that go through there, you know they're all crossed out. So it's kind of like a like a graveyard, like tombstones of all the many rabbits that have been there. Um, But yeah, but sorry, to get back to your question about storyboarding. um, Well, again, I think maybe because I come from editing, I've always been big on previs. Even when I started making stuff before they called it previs, I would just make it before I made it. Just, you know, when you're making low budget stuff, you don't have a lot of, at the time I was shooting film and it was expensive. You just had to be really efficient. So I always planned it really well. Um, and cut it together before I actually shot anything. Because stop motion is so time consuming, it's critical to do that. You know, you don't want to spend any time shooting frames that aren't in the final, if you can help it. Um, But so the first thing I did was I recorded the voice. Um, I then did storyboards, cut it together. Um, And then the next step I shot some live action stuff, just like on an iPhone, just to work out physical movement, cut it pretty much exactly the same as the storyboards. Um, so I've had, I kind of had several versions of it. At that point, I then went to my cast and re recorded the voices, um, cut that together. And then by the time I went to Tobias, Tobias is our animator um, who I work closely with, and he's just fantastic. Tobias Fouracre, he um, animated every frame of the film, which is unusual on a film. It's not a long film, but typically you wouldn't have one animator doing the whole thing just because it's so time consuming. But the beauty of having one person do it is it's re- it really becomes that voice. Um, but I would, by, what I would eventually give um, Tobias was I would have my storyboard version. I'd have my live action version. I'd have the actor performing. Um, and then sometimes I'd have even additional pieces of me acting things out. So we kind of had all of this information to go in. And then as we as we were shooting, um, every, you know, on a good day we do three or four seconds. So, but we could talk so much about what those three or four seconds were, were and, We'd often act it out. Um, I would go, here's my version of it. I'm a terrible actor. Tobias is also a terrible actor. <laughs> so it's like we would bad act to each other, trying to explain, you know, what the, what the essence of of the piece was. But anyway, we had so much fun doing that. And again, you could you just get so granular in terms of moments, and you have the freedom to do that.
0: And you bring up within within that as well performance and and you have Taika Waititi who's the the voice of Ralph throughout the film and it sounds like it isn't something where this was just Taika coming in and you know doing one one or two takes of of the voiceover that it really was an incredibly collaborative process with a lot of back and forth and you know even with with some of your acting things out to kind of show how it was going to go like the two of you bouncing back and forth on that regard as well and so what did that collaborative process look like of the two of you figuring out You know, because the stop animation is going to be so detailed, we're going to know every single moment where Ralph even takes a breath in in the middle of saying something. Really working with Taika in bringing his perspective into the character and then also finding a lot of those specifics together.
1: Yeah, well, working like Taika is a bit like this. When are you available? (laughs) He's the busiest guy I know. At the time he was prepping, I think, Thor. He was in the middle or maybe he was even shooting. It was just and he's writing Star Wars and he's got 50 other things. So he's just very busy. So it was really lovely of him to make the time. And we had worked together before and he's a friend of mine and he's just, he's the funniest guy I know. So it's just like, it's exactly what you think it would be. It's just fun. Um, you know, he, he I think he gives me a hard time because I do a lot of takes. Um, and this happened on the other project we did, but I like to get it right. And you know his instincts are so great and he's so fun, but I do push um, you know, and in a, in a good way. I like to try things and experiment. I like to get really specific and then I like to forget it and start over and go, what if we did this? And so, but I think also I'm doing it in a way that I'm always editing as I'm shooting. So I'm going, oh, that was great. But if I build around this new idea, I need to grab these bits. So um, anyway. Really fun process, a lot of laughing.
0: And you, you were talking earlier as well, a little bit about some of the visual aspects once we see Ralph in the lab setting. And there is such a juxtaposition, you know, the the hutch that he's kind of created as this home space for himself is very full of color, you know, even just like the multicolor of his cereal or the searing feel of yellow. And there's a lot of very warm light, which is such a juxtaposition to the test lab, which is very sterile, very gray, very cold light. Um, and so, how did you find how you wanted to use? visual aesthetics to really kind of completely shift and change everything that the audience have just been seeing. And even with that motion of it's not that Ralph gets up and opens the door and goes to work for the day. It's the fact that a hand rams through the ceiling and just grabs him in an instant.
1: Yeah, it was important that those two worlds were quite different, you know, and even in terms of the lighting, um, Tristan Oliver, our DP, another just great talent, um, we talked a lot about making Ralph's house feel warm and um real you know wanting it to feel like a live action set and um and then obviously the the stark change of the lab um but yeah i think that was just you know the the lab's quite cold and and fluorescent lighting and um but yeah it was important that those two were distinctly different um But yeah, just again, making the sort of the two worlds very different. You know, the house is very lived in and cozy and yeah. Yeah
0: and you you also touched upon just the the amount of time that it takes to put something like this together and the fact that you're there filming about 4 seconds on a good you know on a good day you get 4 seconds worth of usable material for the film and you know so having a shoot that's about 50 odd days for a short film is unheard of outside of the medium of of animation um but what is that sense of kind of accomplishment and connection that in turn you then have to the material in a very unique way where it's a short film but you've spent so much time I am immersed in the entire production process in that way.
1: I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a great process and it's so focused and you, know, you don't have, like aside from the prep and the design and all that stuff, I spent a lot of time with Andy, doing a lot of homework, getting us to the point where we could shoot. But once we're shooting, we go to each set, we'll spend a day or so lighting with Tristan and a little crew. And then everybody goes away, and it's just me and Tobias and Ralph, you know, and so you're just the, the basically the three, of you just super focused. And um, so it's really kind of like an a, it's almost like meditating. Um and yeah, but it's it's just so time consuming. You know, I did a little math of of kind of of what it what it took. I, I realized. So the film's roughly three and a half minutes, something like that. So that's 210 seconds. So divided by 24 frames, that's 5,000 frames. I have to double-check my math. I think this is right. Um, If you think about how long it takes to move each frame, like let's say about five minutes a frame, some much more, some much less, but average five minutes a frame. So that's 25,000 minutes or 416 hours, um, eight hours a day, 52 days. That's not including the building of the sets, the design of the puppet, all of that stuff. So yeah, it's just this very time consuming thing for um, short film, but it's just satisfying in a completely different way. Again, everything is thought out. Every frame is discussed. Um, So I just, I really love that style of filmmaking.
0: It's it's so great. And it's incredible hearing the the level of detail that, that has gone into every single minute frame and every single moment of this short. And it, it's such a great accomplishment. So congratulations on everything with it, Spencer. Really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because it's just like stop motion is such a fun art. And it's so great that it's coming back now in a way they're making more stop motion films. Because the other thing you get from stop motion that you don't get from 3D animation which is also equally amazing and just a different thing but the tactileness of it the sort of physical props they're they're real they become real in a different way I mean I always still think about like Yoda and E.T. you 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 fall in love with E.T. because he's just he you believe he exists and he's real because he is I think it's it's quite different from a 3D character you know I think you can still create great emotion and connection to characters that are not that. But there's something about the physical that's just so fantastic. And so anyway, I love that people are embracing stop motion more and I, I hope to do a lot more.
0: That's so great. You know, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything that you just said about the medium. And I think that's what people are really love and are really connecting to and in, in terms of what you've built. So it's so great and appreciate everything that you've shared with this.
1: Oh, good. Well, thanks. Always, oh, I'll say one other thing. The, the nice thing also about where we are with the technology is the combination of these things. You know, you have a way that's worked for many years and that's how they figured out a lot of, you know, special effects and now we have all these visual effects. When you combine the two worlds, you really can get something special. You know, again, with 3D printing, stop motion becomes a lot easier. With rig removal, it's, it just becomes so much easier to, um, you know, shoot things in ways. Motion control makes it quite easy to, to do whatever you dream of. So I love it. So, well, thank you.
0: Of course, thank you so much.